1: Today on the Everything 80s podcast, how Popeye led to the creation of the Super Mario Brothers. Hey, how are you? What's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. Today we're looking at... This is like one of those topics you never really hear about. And it's one of those like connect the dot situations that takes a little like deeper looking into until you uncover the whole story. And it's how we wouldn't have Super Mario Brothers without Popeye. And so it might seem a little strange, but it's a very interesting story. And looking back on... The history of nintendo and its evolution and the introduction of mario and how that was sort of the flagship game uh, so we'll look at the whole story before we start if you haven't already make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts i should be there okay let's do this so ultimately this whole story comes down to a last second change and how sometimes that can be the make or break point for a company and it's amazing how one incident can again then completely change the trajectory for that company, and in this case, an entire industry. If Popeye had never been created, we would not have Mario, and the original NES might not have had the success it did. Super Mario Brothers is the number one selling game of all time by far, and propelled the NES into a new era of video games after what's called the Great Video Game Crash of 1983. And if you want to learn more about that, check out my older episode on the et atari video game and you'll learn about that giant topic which don't have time to get into now but basically there was a time when video games were all but extinct and the whole industry was saved by the nes so we're going to look at how this all came together how popular to mario and that means going back to the story of both of them and we'll start with the oldest one Popeye was created in 1929, so that seems to be the place to start. Except it's not, because Nintendo, as a company, predates Popeye by another three decades. So, obviously, Nintendo isn't making video games in 1889, but it's when the company was created. It started out as a playing card company in Kyoto, Japan. And the trading cards they created were called Hanafuda, which meant flower cards. And there were a number of games you could play with them. It's the reason you see the use of the flower power and the fireballs in Super Mario as they come from these old card games. These old cards were printed, if you can believe it, on bark, and they started making them out of plastic in 1953. One big moment happened in 1959 when they were licensed to start printing cards with Disney characters on them. They were able to sell 600,000 packs that year and went from calling themselves the Nintendo Trading Card Company to just Nintendo. So, Nintendo started to dabble in other products, even creating vacuums at one point, if you can believe that. They branched out into toys and also into electronic games. They created a mechanical arm called the Ultra Arm that sold 1 million units and even a solar-powered light gun in 1973. You'll see that pop up a little later. Their electronic games and toys were catching on big time, and they started to get involved in arcade games, which were becoming more popular. This is where the story now crosses with Popeye. And, you know, before that, let's look at the history of Popeye himself. So Popeye the Sailor was created by Elsie Chrysler Seeger and first appeared in the Daily King feature comic strips on January 17th, 1929. This is a whole different Popeye than the one you probably are thinking of because he started as a one-eyed sailor who got his luck Not by spinach eating, but by rubbing the head of something called the wiffle hen. Olive oil predates Popeye when she appeared in the Thimble Theater from the New York Journal on December 9th, 1919. This strip lasted for a decade, and the appearance of Popeye was just supposed to be a one-off as he had been hired by Olive's brother Castor Oil in one of these strips. So in this first appearance, Castor Oil hires Popeye to captain a ship to a casino where Castor was trying to win against the crooked mob owner. Castor would get his luck from rubbing the hairs of the wiffle hen as well. So basically in this comic strip, they had to make a run for it and Popeye ends up getting shot multiple times, but he survives because he rubs the head of the wiffle hen. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of opium going on in the 20s and influences strips. So Popeye was actually, believe it or not, based on a real guy named Frank Rocky Feigel who lived from or Feigl, who lived from 1868 to 1947. I didn't know this until researching. Maybe you did. But you can if you google the name Frank Rocky Feigel or real life Popeye, you'll be shocked at what this guy looks like and how much he actually looks like a living cartoon. So check that out. Even Olive Oil and Wimpy were said to be based on real people who all lived in Chester, Illinois, which was the hometown of Popeye creator Seeger. Anyway, the character Popeye was a big hit, and due to the reader reaction, he would be brought back. He became more and more popular and ended up getting a bigger role, kind of very Steve Urkelish on Family Matters, you know, when he was brought in just for one sort of a one-off. Episode. So as the Strip evolved, Olive Oil and Popeye would become kind of a hot and heavy thing. But then when Seeger died in 1938, different artists were used to take over the Strip. They would bring back some characters that had only been used once, including Bluto, who started as Bluto the Terrible. He was that large, muscle-bound nemesis to Popeye, who was always trying to steal Olive Oil. So keep that in mind, too. So looking at the influence of Popeye. So it's become a big hit and Popeye is said to be the influence behind a lot of superheroes we know today. So remember, Popeye predates pretty much all of them. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, the Incredible Hulk. Popeye wasn't a superhero per se, but he has all the elements that made up a traditional superhero story. There was the brave hero, the damsel in distress, distress and the brutish adversary. You can see in this, how Superman mimicked this same dynamic. So, Popeye as a character was becoming immensely popular now, and the first animated cartoons started rolling out in 1932, and then there were the comic books, which were also big sellers. There was the made-for-TV cartoons from the 1960s that came out, and then a series of regular TV cartoons were commissioned. Bluto needed to be changed to Brutus at the time due, some, due to some copyright issues that came up with Paramount. On September 9th, 1978, the all-new Popeye Hour debuted on CBS Saturday Morning Cartoons. It was an hour-long show made by Hanna-Barbera Productions, and not long after, the feature film with Robin Williams was made. So, Popeye was very well-known, obviously, and a hot commodity at the same time. For a new upstart video game company, this seemed like the perfect theme to put into a new arcade video game. So now we're looking at Nintendo and them getting started in the video game industry. So Shigeru Miyamoto was a video game designer that worked for Nintendo and has created some of the greatest games ever made, including The Legend of Zelda, Star Fox, games like F-Zero. He was originally hired by Nintendo as a toy designer, but would become the company's very first artist. So Nintendo's first arcade game would be called Sheriff and it came out in 1979. The game was also known as Bandido and was a Western-style shooting game. It involved controlling a county sheriff who would have to protect the town against bandits. There is also a captured woman, so he has to protect the town and also rescue her. So you can probably see where all this is going. People liked it, but I don't think it was a runaway success. Miyamoto was the art designer for Sheriff. Uh, and the first game that he would actually work on was Radar Scope from 1980. This was kind of a Space Invaders style video game and involved a new type of hardware that had some good possibilities for other games. Radar Scope did okay in Japan, but when they excitedly launched it in the States, it didn't go over very well. Nintendo was now left with warehouses filled with thousands of these unbought cabinets that they thought was going to be a huge hit when it launched in the United States. So this is now when they start to bring Popeye to arcade games. The head of Nintendo America was Minoru Arakawa, and he was actually the son-in-law of the Nintendo CEO Hiroshi Yamauchi. He begged his father-in-law to provide him with a new game that could be swapped over into all those unused Radar Scope cabinets. This would be Nintendo's last shot at making it in America as they were facing financial disaster. Yamauchi was desperate and asked every Nintendo employee for ideas that could be turned into a video game, and Shigeru Miyamoto spoke up with an idea. Miyamoto was more aware of American culture and noticed how popular Popeye the Sailor Man was. His idea was to create a video game based on the three main characters. He thought a simple love triangle between Popeye, Bluto, and Olive Oil would work, they have been very familiar, and the premise was also familiar from the TV shows. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA.
0: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
1: Thinking back to the game Sheriff, there would be a woman that would have to be rescued, and that was the basic premise for the game. But people would recognize Popeye and the other characters, and they would already know the backstory and the love triangle aspect. It would be a very quick introduction into the world. But... They couldn't get the rights to Popeye, so they were seemingly screwed. Or were they? The concept was a very good idea, but now Miyamoto would need to swap out the characters and come up with his own. He needed to use the brutish Bluto as the main villain, and he took inspiration from Beauty and the Beast, but then embraced King Kong as the perfect Beast villain. He thought that Bluto could swap out for a giant ape pretty easily based on their physical characteristics. Olive oil would be a woman needing to be rescued, but they would call her Lady and then Pauline. This all came up when they were talking to the Nintendo warehouse landlord named Mario Sigali. He had mentioned that the warehouse manager's wife was named Polly, and Polly or Pauline might be a good name. And instead of Popeye, he would use a carpenter that he would name Jumpman. With the story in place, he had to design the game, but his original ideas, including multiple sizes and levels and catapulting characters across the screen, were just too complex to program. He then thought of using slope platforms with barrels that would have to be jumped over. But instead of just one screen, like Pac-Man, there would be some variations between the screens. A four-person team programmed the game, and they would call it Donkey Kong. This was the first time that a story had been developed before the programming of a video game. Usually, the game was programmed, and then they would throw together some sort of theme or story. They sent it to Nintendo of America for testing, and the sales managers hated it. They were more focused on games that were based on mazes or shooting, and this was completely different. But Nintendo, like I said, was screwed. They had to get something out there, and they had to make use of all the radar scope units, that were just sitting in these warehouses burning a hole in their pockets. So they put it out there and you know what happened. This is the success of Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong came out in 1981 and was a massive hit. It was one of the first versions of the platform game genre and one of the first that featured characters that could jump. The game used a full-on damsel in distress theme with Jumpman trying to save her from the kidnapping. Jumpman was designed in red overalls and a red cap, which was sort of an everyman look in Japan at the time. They tried to design a mouth for him, but they had such few pixels to work with, they could only end up giving him a mustache. So with Donkey Kong being a absolute blockbuster hit, they immediately started on a sequel, releasing Donkey Kong Jr. in 1982 and Donkey Kong 3 in 1983. They would make one notable change, however— Jumpman was now given a new identity and a new name. So you remember the warehouse landlord from before I mentioned? They would use the name Mario from Mario Segali. They would also give him a brother named Luigi and turn them from carpenters into plumbers. They also gave Mario some super human abilities, including being able to fall from any height while being unharmed. So Nintendo is now a huge player in the arcade game, but they're thinking about the home video game market too. So here is a quick touching again on the video game crash of 83, just because it's imperative to the whole story thing. And again, you know, kind of baffling to think of a time when video games pretty much disappeared. So Atari, obviously king of the mountain. They come out in 1979, goes into the 80s. The video game industry is on fire with other companies like ColecoVision being in the mix. In 1982, Atari was pulling in a crazy $3.2 billion a year and then the E.T. Video Atari game came out. This isn't a single tipping point that derailed an industry, but there was a lot leading up to it. Video games are starting to get a a bad name now because anyone could put out a game for Atari, and Atari didn't really do any quality checking or approval. This meant there was a flood of disappointing and almost unplayable games out there that were frustrating people and causing returns and backlash. There was also some more competition. There were other gaming units, and the home computer was now starting to take off. The Commodore 64 was offering the ability to play games, too, but also do so much more. And the price points were starting to become more affordable. When the E.T. Atari video game came out in 1983, it set in motion a snowball effect that would bring Atari to its knees. Again, you'll have to just check out the whole other episode to learn this whole thing. Basically, E.T. was made in only five weeks to get it out in time for Christmas. It's one of the worst, most disappointing, and frustrating frustrating games ever created and it led to a ton of returns and horrible word of mouth. They would sell 1.5 million of them, but produced over 4 million. It was official. People were pretty much over video games now. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. In one year, Atari lost 536 million, and they would drop from that 3.2 billion in 1983 to only a hundred million by 1985. When ET came out, their value dropped by 1.3 billion and they would be divided up and sold by 1984. So this is a monumental crash. And though even though E.T. isn't solely to blame, video games were not really an interest to toy manufacturers anymore. It seemed like a risk, but Nintendo had introduced the Famicom in Japan, which was the predecessor to the NES, and it was going over well. There was no telling if this would catch on in North America, though, because companies, like I said, bizarrely to think of, wanted nothing to do with video games. They didn't want to touch them because big companies like Hasbro and Mattel had been so burned by the video game crash, they didn't want to risk it. So launching the NES was going to require a pretty epic game, and they would go back to a carpenter-turned-plumber to be one of the flagship games for the new system. Arcade games have always been big, but they were only about getting high scores, with Donkey Kong, Shigeru Miyamoto... Had introduced the idea of a story into a video game, and he wanted to take a new approach with the NES games. Instead of just focusing on a high score, there would be more of a focus on gameplay and theme. Everyone was already familiar with Mario from the Donkey Kong games, and those previous years served as good advertising for a new game from a new system. It was a brilliant idea because it, it was like it was a carryover from the arcade to a new home video game system. You already know what Mario and Luigi were all about, but now you get to see them in their own new world. There was also the Mario Brothers arcade game that had been out in 1983. The Super Mario Brothers world was actually designed first without their inclusion. The prototype of the game just had a simple pixel square move around the screen, and it was suggested to use Mario as the sales from the arcade game were still going strong. The game would include Super Mushrooms, and this gave way to the new name Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers had a few good innovations which would help with its success. The first world of Super Mario Bros., World 1-1, starts off simple as a way to get familiar with your surroundings and build up your skills. This was another great idea to ease people into the gameplay and let them build their confidence and learn the mechanics of the game. The other big thing was the music. Music in video games had been pretty crappy up to that point, and Super Mario would change that. The music and sound effects would be an integral part of the game, and would create a mood and atmosphere to the different levels and conditions. So you put together a new concept, new gameplay, and a familiar character, and you've got the perfect combination to launch a new game system. Super Mario Brothers would come out in Japan in September 1985 and then launched in North America later that year and into 1986. Obviously, I don't need to tell you what a massive hit this was. And the NES changed culture and the childhoods of every kid in the 80s. The game and system relaunched the video game industry from that crash of 83 and took it into a whole other level that no one could have anticipated. Super Mario Brothers would become the best-selling game of all time, selling over 40 million units. The success of the original NES would also lead Nintendo to create the Super Nintendo, the Game Boy, Nintendo 64, GameCube, Nintendo DS, Nintendo Wii, the Nintendo Switch. Game-wise, Mario would have a ton of sequels and spin-off, too. Here's a lot. Let's go through them. Super Mario Brothers 2. Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario Land, Super Mario World, Super Mario 2 Six Golden Coins, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island, Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, Super Mario Galaxy, Super Mario Bros on the Wii, Super Mario Galaxy 2, Super Mario 3D Land, New Super Mario Brothers 2, New Super Mario Brothers U, these keep going, Super Mario 3D World, Super Mario Maker, Super Mario Run, Super Mario Odyssey, they keep going. This this doesn't even include things like Doctor Mario or all the Mario Karts, or all the iterations of him in the original sports games, like tennis and all that, obviously the most important um, video game character of all time so let's start winding things down here on this uh whole little journey. so the disappointment over not being able to license Popeye for an arcade game pretty much led to a whole other pathway that Nintendo would go down that would transform them and the video game industry forever. It's weird to think that this spinach-eating sailor would be the influence behind the game that would lead us to Super Mario Brothers, going from Popeye and the characters into Donkey Kong, which brought us Jumpman, which turned into Mario, which turned into Super Mario Brothers. If they had never come up with the new concept that became Donkey Kong, it's hard to say where the video game industry would be today. And this wouldn't have led to the greatest moment in my life, which was the first time saving the princess in the original Mario Brothers game in 1986. Okay, so that's the whole story of how Popeye led to the creation of the Super Mario Brothers. So hopefully you like this episode, learn some interesting new stuff. Again, check out all my past episodes where there's more in-depth episodes on, you know, the E.T. thing and Atari and Nintendo itself and the early history of Nintendo and Um, All those sort of things. So, And if you haven't already, like I mentioned before, subscribe to the show. Then you can get them all updated automatically wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.